I'm Jeff Murphy from Boston University Alumni Relations, and I'm your host for an interview series showcasing the career paths of our most interesting and accomplished alumni. Welcome to the Proud to Be You podcast. My guest today is award-winning global marketing executive, Josh London. Josh earned a degree in English from the College of Arts and Sciences in 1994. Since his time at BU, Josh has held a variety of C-suite level roles at media and tech companies, including CNET, ZDNet, Ziff Davis, and most recently IDG. I spoke with Josh about his journey beyond BU and his storied career at the intersection of tech, marketing, and new media. Well, Josh, thanks so much for joining us on the Proud to Be You podcast. It's really um, awesome for me to have a chance to talk to you. It's my pleasure. Get us started. If we could hear a little bit about your life before BU, where did you grow up? Well, I'm honored to be here. Thanks, Jeff. I grew up in upstate New York in a town called Poughkeepsie. And growing up as a kid, what, what, when you think back to that first way that you answered the question, what, what do you want to do when you grow up? What was the first job that you aspired to? You know, I, I thought I would be a landscape architect. I always liked gardening and design and the strategic planning, which I wouldn't have called it then, that went into garden design. And then on a larger scale, as I had a number of jobs working with landscape architects, really got excited by it. That's interesting. Did you have family or, or other sort of connections, friends that introduced you to the world of landscape architecture? How did, the, how did that passion become something that you had? Well, my mother is an amazing gardener and, and was a big influence in that area. So what brought you to BU then from Poughkeepsie? You know, I was looking for a university that had a, an international uh, cohort to it, a broad area of study. I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do when I, when I first applied to BU or for the, for the first year, in fact. And, you know, and I was looking for uh, a place where I could explore, where, you know, I could allow uh, that to unfold after a period of time. And so BU really offered a breadth of disciplines that was very attractive to me. And I wanted a metropolitan setting. I've always been drawn to cities. And, and that was uh, a big reason that Boston was uh, close to my heart. So you, you grew up wanting, thinking that you'd be a landscape architect, but when you got to, to Boston, um, you said that you didn't really know what you wanted to do. What did you end up majoring in? I majored in English and literature. And how, how did you land on that? Just a passion for reading or? Yeah. And it's, you know, it's something that is, um, it has always been a part of my life. I, I always loved reading. I'm an incredibly curious person and I loved uh, novels and poetry as a window to a wider world beyond the small town that I grew up in. And so, you know, when you allow yourself to become immersed in literature, you really, uh, you, you really can time travel and you really can be anywhere in the world. And so I, I have a vivid memory of reading a Hemingway novel and thinking, you know, at this time while I'm lying in bed as I think it was 13, a 13 year old, you know, there are lions walking on the beach in Africa and, and just the ability to be two places at once was really exciting to me. I love that. I think that's the, the thing that I appreciate about books is, is that that sense of other things happening in the world that you might not have thought of. So did you, you entered as an English major or was that a decision that you landed on after taking some classes? 
Yeah, I was undeclared, and then uh, and and then it was uh, something that I landed on. I you know I had considered uh, becoming a psychology major as well, and and you know the the similarities are probably pretty clear between the two disciplines. Um, there, you know, it, it really is understanding that there's something much bigger than us as individuals and, and finding our place in the world. So tell us a little bit more about your BU experience, maybe outside of the classroom first. Where did you live when you got to campus? Uh, my freshman year, I lived in Warren Towers and uh, sophomore and junior years, I lived uh on Boswell Street on uh, in South Campus, and then I moved off campus for my senior year. And uh, in junior year, I also studied abroad with BU uh, at the University of Padua or Padova. Oh, right, right. Okay. You, you talked a little bit about time travel uh, as a means of, um, you know, reading. Um, if we're, I was able to time travel back to BU in the 90s, were there uh, campus hangouts that I would find you in? Did you end up having favorite places to study or hang out or any of those sorts of things? Sure. Well, the first thing you'd see is I had a lot more hair then. Um, and I, uh, I, I spent a lot did. of time. <laughs> right. I spent a lot of time uh, in the student union and in the library, in addition uh, to friends rooms, it seems uh, like where I spent the majority of my time. You were in the student union. Were you studying or were there like student organizations or any other sort of extracurriculars you were part of? Yeah, I was mostly studying. Got it. Did it take you a long time to feel at home at BU? Was that, did that happen earlier? Did it take you a long time? It, that's an interesting question. The, the first year was an adjustment for me uh, in a lot of ways. It was obviously my first time living away from home, you know, and all of the wonderful independence that came from that, but also, you know, the responsibility that came with that independence. And, and it took me some time to figure that out, you know, that no one's going to remind you to go to every class and to turn in your work on time and, and to live up to your potential. And the first semester was particularly challenging for me. Uh, after that, I, I seemed to have kicked myself into gear, and then it then it really became a lot easier to acclimate. But I think that adjustment period is something that ultimately was very helpful, even though at the time it, it certainly felt challenging. Are there classes that stood out for you? Are there faculty rem- uh, faculty members that you remember as having a, an impact on your experience here? Yeah, not surprisingly, I remember my last ones more than my first um, because of the function of time. But that that is not to slight any of my freshman, sophomore and junior uh, professors because they were phenomenal. And again, what made them so great for me was teaching me how to think. You know, one of the things that has been persistent in my life, both personally and professionally, is a notion that... um, a, a, a venture capitalist named Mark Suster uh, calls turning dots into lines, right? And so that is picking up disparate parts of information and turning that into a theme. And that, that's something that I learned pretty early at BU. I had some fantastic professors, um, and I'll name two of them. Uh, one was Aharon Appelfeld, um, and he was just a, an incredibly warm man, a Holocaust survivor who taught the literature of the Holocaust and, you know, became, became a friend. Um, and the other was Saul Bellow. And Saul Bellow is probably one of my favorite stories because I interviewed with him as a senior for admission to his class. 
I, you know, I felt pretty confident that I would get in and that confidence fell away, you know, within, I don't know, maybe 60 seconds of meeting him. I had just come back from Italy. He asked me, you know, well, what Italian poets do you like? I named a couple thinking, you know, I'm really acing it. And then in Italian, he cited a stanza and said, what do you think the poet meant? And I, you know, I, I was lost. And then he, um, and then he asked me a couple of other questions and said, you know, I, I think you're not ready for this class. And, and I said, look, I, you know, with respect, I disagree. Why don't you let me try it? And if I, uh, and if I don't perform, just tap me on the shoulder and I'll leave no problem. I wound up getting an A in that class and it became, you know, a real source of pride for me, but also just a wonderful experience to study with who arguably was the English, English language's greatest living writer at the time. Yeah. Did you have a chance to, you know, your interaction with him at first is maybe you're not ready for this class. You end up getting an A. Are you, did, did you get a chance to have a follow-up conversation with Professor Bellow and say, not, not, I told you so, but did he, were you able to interact with him more? We, we did interact more and I could tell that, you know, he really valued my participation and my thinking and was very good with a with a warm smile uh, and sort of an approving look after uh, after I would contribute in class. That's an awesome story. I'm glad that uh, you're able to share it with us. So, you know, I've been asking you to think about your time at BU and reflect on who you were then. Would would college Josh be surprised to see what's happened in your life afterwards with in terms of your career in marketing? Well, I think I think so in some ways. It was very hard for me to prescribe where I would went, wind up. I'm I'm impressed with my own kids and with others when I see a sense of purpose emerge very early for a profession. Um, yeah. That, you know, that was not my uh, that was not my path. Mine was a lot more of a wander. And mm. I really wanted to follow what was passionate to me with some blind hope that it would work out. And, you know, it, and, and luckily it has, but uh, through a lot of hard work. But, you know, I think that that was a real gift that my parents gave me by allowing me to pursue a liberal arts education and, you know, and one that I had faith that with the right inputs, it would really uh, it would really end up in the right direction. It's interesting. So you know, one of the things that we talk about in terms of, you know, advancing careers, particularly we talk about it on this podcast is sort of making decisions and how you go about making those decisions. Here you are thinking of yourself as kind of a wanderer. When you finished your degree at BU, obviously you're, you're sort of, I'm getting the sense from you that you didn't know exactly what was going to happen next. So what mm -hmm. does happen next and, and how much of it is wandering versus actually making decisions and pursuing something? Well, you know, when I say wander, I don't mean that it was without intention and, and, you know, just sort of a random walk waiting for opportunity to tap me on the shoulder. What I, what I mean more is that I didn't have a prescribed path for a trade and I was open to different influences. So let me tell you what happened. Uh, when I studied in Italy, I had met a, uh, a, a visiting student from Yale who became a close friend. And he knew that I had learned about the internet and particularly at the time to use the internet, you needed to learn a programming language called Unix. 
And he knew that I knew that because my parents had moved abroad. They had moved to France while I was in college. And the way to communicate with them was via email. And the way to get on email and the internet was at the computer lab using Learn, uh, using um, Unix, which I had to teach myself. We came, we then graduated. I kept in touch with this friend. He became a headhunter and he said, you know, there's a lot of opportunities for people with the skill set that you have. And he put me in touch with an internet startup. And, you know, at the time, this was 1994, people didn't know what the internet was. I mean, a few did, but the, it, it's not the, ubiquitous force that it is now. And because of that, you know, that that connection, I got the interview. I wound up getting a job at an internet startup working for Jim Glick. And Jim Glick was the science editor of the New York Times and the author of Chaos and of uh, of Faster and, you know, and, and other really well-regarded uh, pieces of work. And uh, that quickly turned into a tremendous opportunity for me. And I can tell you more about that if if you want detail there. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm also curious to know you've got this this passion for English, uh, but obviously you've, you've been able to uh, obtain these sort of computer skills as well. So does that first job after graduation with your headhunter friend kind of, do you feel like you're using your BU experience or is it just other sort of self-taught stuff? I, and I definitely would like to hear more about how, how you went from job to job after school. Yeah, sure. So, uh, so, you know, one way to think about it is English and another way to think about it is communications. Now at BU, that's a separate, uh, that's a separate school, but you know, what, what I needed to learn to do at BU was really be a succinct communicator. And that helped me, it helped set me apart as a candidate. And it certainly helped me within that job. I started as technical support, you know, helping people with problems. And within three months had moved to starting their web business um, for commercial clients. And, you know, at the time you could print out every dot com in the world and it and it fit on 13 pages. Right. So, I mean, these these were early days. But because I was able to communicate the value of you know, what it meant to have a web presence that early and the business sense of why we should be doing it to uh, to Jim and to others, you know, that moved me into that area and, and provided me that opportunity really quickly. And then what are you doing? Well, you're working with different clients that all have a similar goal with different needs. And that's not dissimilar from, you know, the kind of thematic work that you're looking for in literature. So in 96, you, I, I found this stalking you on the internet and looked at your LinkedIn profile, but it looks like you got your first job as a marketing director. You're two years out of school. Um, what, do, what skills do you feel like you really needed in those early jobs, maybe outside of the technical ones, but what are the things about your personality and your work style that you feel like helped um, get you that great marketing role? Yeah, I mean, I, listen, I, I was very fortunate to work with people who saw my potential early and, um, and were willing to, to a certain extent, take a, uh, to take a risk. Uh, what, what I look for most beyond hard skills when I'm hiring for a marketer is not someone who necessarily studied marketing in university. I'm really looking for curiosity. You know, do you, do you want to understand how all the P 
piece parts work? Do you want to understand uh, how you can play a role in that and how that fits into a broader ecosystem? What's the goal that we're trying to achieve? And, you know, where are inputs coming from? And so, you know, I had some product management experience, which took me from pre-sale all the way to support and upgrade. And so I understood each part along the assembly line. And one of my clients that, uh, that I had worked with early on in, in this web development that I mentioned, uh, then hired me to be their marketing director for a new division they had. One of the things I couldn't tell from looking at your LinkedIn job history, are you moving all over the country, all over the world for, for different positions, or are you able to stay sort of in cities that you wanted to live in? Yeah, particularly during the early days, um, I was uh, I was traveling a lot less than I am now. Uh, it, basically, in New York, Northern Virginia, after an acquisition, back to New York, um, and then global. Uh, but, you know, one of the things that happened very early that was fortunate for me was this company that I started at after uh, after college got acquired very quickly. And um, and I I remember the day when I uh, received equity in the company. I had no idea what it was. And in fact, I thought, you know, maybe maybe there's a trick here, some sort of you know indentured servitude. And I called my father in Paris and he said, this is a good thing. Put it in a drawer. Well, you know, three months later, we were acquired and the company that acquired us went public. And that was my first of what what um, has now turned into six different acquisitions through my career. And that was, you know, just an incredibly fortunate place to be. Has that changed? I thought that was really interesting. You told me even before we started uh, this interview that you'd been a part of so many acquisitions. Has that changed your approach to work at all? Sort of being in this environment where ownership can change without, you know, um, maybe you're, you are or you aren't sort of clued into that happening. How, what advice do you have for people who maybe wouldn't be so comfortable working in that kind of environment that sort of, um, can you know, those acquisitions are happening? Yeah, well, I mean, across most industries, it's almost inevitable that it'll happen at some point in your lives. And what we're seeing in the workforce now more than ever is the idea of one company being your sole employer is it's virtually dead. So one knows that they're going to be facing change, whether that's through acquisition or reorganization or something else. The advice that that I give and, and do my best to follow myself whenever I can is in times of change, run right to the center. It's counterintuitive in many ways because it feels, uh, it, it feels a little bit scary and you might feel a little insecure when the sands are shifting. But what's most important is not to put your head down and just do your job and wait for someone to recognize you. It's really get as close to the center as you can and be proactive about the uh, the uh, skill and the influence that you can bring, and that's served me very well. And and you know, it's advice, as I mentioned, that I give to everyone because what what people are looking for, regardless of level, whether you're just starting out or you know, or or you're more experienced in your career is someone that they can rely on to bring them good ideas, to be proactive, who's not necessarily worried about making everything perfect, but instead is more worried about making an impact. 
So you've got this, you know, marketing specific experience that you're having. Um, at, at some point, do you you find yourself with C-suite level aspirations or is that just sort of the natural progression of what you were doing on? I know eventually you went on to become a CEO of, of a company. Um, was that was that a purposeful move for you? Were you sort of aspiring to, to be in the C-suite? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, it really was about making impact. And so, you know, all of us at certain points have thought, hey, I can add a lot more. And so it was a great opportunity for me to move beyond uh, just marketing and general management and partnerships and business development to really, you know, have a uh, an impact on the whole and, and was very rewarding uh, to be able to have that kind of influence over an organization. I think if you look in general at, you know, at, at marketing or really at most disciplines within a company, they are so interrelated with one another that thinking of them as discrete does you a disservice. Marketing in particular is always at the nexus of growth for an organization. And so, you know, being able to influence all of the levers that drive that growth was something that was very interesting to me. And if I'm reading correctly, it looks like you also founded your own consulting firm along the way. Yeah. After I uh, sold that company where I was COO, uh, one of the things that I got a lot of was inbound um, requests from people asking me if I could help. And, and then those turned into, hey, will you help us more? And, you know, we'd like to pay for this. And so I started a consultancy and, um, you know, a small consultancy. And that was really interesting because it gives you access to a variety of issues and a variety of different stage companies, some of them that had early momentum and then slowed down a bit, some of them that, you know, have a great idea and two, two guys in a garage, you know, metaphorically speaking, uh, but need some professionalization to how do we think about growth and not boil the ocean and others that, you know, we're thinking, okay, who do we buy next? How do we integrate them? What's the operating plan look like? So the variety of that was really interesting to me. And, you know, and the variety of stakeholders was very interesting to me as well, because all of your customers are different. It's not, you know, it's not like when you're marketing a single product. And that served me, you know, in, in my next role because we had so many different stakeholders, so many different customers around the world that it was really, uh, really good practice, especially with active listening. And then your most recent role with IDG, International Data Group, you go on to become chief marketing officer. Uh, what, what, what do you think that people might misunderstand about that title? How do you explain that role for any organization? Well, that's a great question because the CMO role has changed so much over time. It, it really used to be um, someone who did not have a full seat at the table, if you will. And it has now moved where you're seeing more and more CMOs being added to corporate boards, um, but certainly a full member of the executive team because working hand in hand with product and with sales, they're responsible for driving growth. One thing that I was thinking about, about your path and, and being in the C-suite with your last role with IDG, how many, how many staff do you oversee as the CMO? It varies by, uh, it varies by company. So one of the things that I did at IDG was I started a video series called CMO Perspectives. And that allowed me to interview 60 top CMOs across, uh, across 
the uh, globe, you know, everyone from the CMO of IBM, Slack, Cisco, AT&T, et cetera. And, you know, you'll see organizations as small as, uh, as small as five to 10. And, you know, in the case of IBM, you'll see organizations with 6,000 marketers worldwide. So it, it really varies depending on the size of the organization and to an extent, the type of the company. But if you think about the roles that go into the, uh, the disciplines that go into the CMO role, you know, you'll see now communications, design, um, analyst relations and uh, investor relations. You'll see demand generation. Uh, in some organizations like Slack, you'll see sales, customer success, which is post-sales support, research. So it, it really varies. I, uh, I know in 2016, uh, you received a big award. You were named Folio 100 honoree uh, as a C-level visionary. What did that mean to you to get that award? Are you, does it help you to feel successful in the work that you've done? Uh, it was very validating for the team. Um, I, you know, I was the, I was the recipient of that award, but really the reason I was the recipient of the war, the award was because of the strong team that we had built at IDG. It, it, it felt great to win that because it recognized what was a really difficult, uh, task that we had, which was to take this massive company, uh, operating in 147 countries with literally hundreds of brands in a radically decentralized fashion and, and simplify, unify, and clarify that message to come up with a cohesive go-to-market. And if you say it fast, it seems easy, but it was a challenge like I've never had before. And, and so winning that award was something that, you know, I was, I was exceptionally proud of. And you know, I spend a lot of time thinking about the future, if you will. You know, what what once was the Internet. Now, you know, there's a lot of time spent thinking about robotics and autonomous vehicles, about AI, um, microsatellites, and, you know, all of the possible effects that they can have. And that, you know, that award just sort of uh, solidified that for me. So I, I was really proud of that. Again, congratulations on that. I know that you also have left IDG and uh, are, are currently, I'm, I'm guessing, thinking about your next move. And obviously, as a visionary, somebody who's been focused on things like AI and robotics, um, do you have a, an idea of what's next? Marketing's always been a passion of mine. I, you know, I've been lucky to invest in some really forward-thinking opportunities since uh, since leaving IDG, and that's been. Uh, very validating personally, but I think when I think about you know a next uh, a next step for me, it's largely one that meets some of the criteria that brought me to IDG, a great company with a strong brand, multinational presence, and that's looking to transform. And so you know, companies typically call me when they're at that point of transformation. Either they're looking to uh, they're looking to move into a new product area or, you know, what got them here isn't what uh, isn't what is going to get them out, if you will. Right. They've had some success and now they need to pour gas on it. The other thing that, you know, the other thing that I seem to uh, get a number of calls for is when companies are looking for a strategic outcome. And so, you know, I mentioned this was my sixth exit, but 
packaging and presenting companies for sale is something that I've built a bit of a specialty in. And so that translates into a lot of areas, including private equity. And so you know, when I think about a next move, it's not just uh, corporate multinational. You know, I, I think about private equity as well. Well, Josh, on behalf of the university, we're all excited to see what you end up doing next. Thanks so much for taking time to, to tell us a little about your career story and, uh, and share some advice. We really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much for including me. My thanks once again to Josh London for joining me on Proud to Be You. He's obviously a really smart guy. It was awesome getting to know him and hear his story. If you're interested in connecting with him further, I'd encourage you to reach out to him on LinkedIn. Thanks again for listening to the Proud to Be You podcast. If you like what we're doing, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review Proud to Be You wherever you download your episodes. I'm Jeff Murphy, and no matter where your path takes you, be proud to be you. The Proud to Be You podcast is produced by Boston University Alumni Relations. Our theme is from Jump and APM Music. To learn more about Proud to Be You, visit bu.edu slash alumni slash podcast.